Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Chair Conversation Podcast. This is the open, honest, authentic space for us to have dialogue together on life through the lens of faith. It's a space to listen, to grow, to be encouraged, and maybe even challenged as we navigate life together. I'm Pastor Jessica Morris, and I'm excited to welcome you to today's conversation. What a perfect time to sit down with Dr. Chuck Hannaford, a licensed clinical psychologist and president of HeartLife Professional Soul Care, a not-for-profit organization committed to providing excellence in Christian counseling. Dr. Hannaford has been counseling individuals and couples and families for over three decades. He earned his doctorate from the University of North Texas and served his internship in clinical psychology at the University of Tennessee Medical School, Division of Psychiatry, and Department of Clinical Psychology. That's a whole lot of impressive credentials and a whole lot of wisdom. In this episode, we will discuss something most of us will be facing this unique holiday season complicated relationship dynamics. This season is looking drastically different for many, many of us. And honestly, the holiday season in general is challenging enough. Add a global pandemic, civil unrest, a divisive election year, and polarizing differences on how some of us are handling it all. And we have a recipe for some very, very complicated conversations and interactions. Dr. Hannaford shares his three decades worth of experience with us today on how we can best navigate the season relationally and in a healthy way. So let's get to it and meet Dr. Chuck Hannaford in the green chair. Dr. Hannaford, thank you for being here with us. This is a huge honor. This is a huge blessing for for us, for you you to be in the green chair. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this. So I want us to get to know you a little bit. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. You're a psychologist. Right. President, founder of HeartLife. Correct. So I would love to hear, how did you you get here? And you're not from Memphis, right? Well, no, I I grew up in Texas uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Went to school at the uh, University of North Texas. My graduate, my doctorate uh, was there. So um, kind of an interesting story. I was, uh, I, I was in the reserves in the military mm-hmm. and was a medic. And um, so from that, uh, I was working uh, with a doctor, uh, Baxter, who was from Brooks Army Medical Hospital down in San Antonio, and he, he was treating burn patients. And mm-hmm. so I went through special training as an ex-medic with two other guys. Long story short, we were working in a burn intensive care unit, and so it was determined that we wanted to study why some people with uh, like a 20% total body surface area burn would die within six weeks. Kidneys would shut down, they would die. Wow. And then we would have people with 60% body surface burns that would survive. And so the University of Texas uh, Medical School started doing some uh, research. And what they discovered was that that people, uh, even with a lower percent uh, body surface burn, that maybe had gone through a divorce or maybe had lost a loved one recently, Uh, had sort of lost their will to live, and yet people who had much greater, more extensive burns, if they had a good social support system, a good family network, um, 
uh, would survive. In fact, one young man we had in there one time, Tom Landry, who was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, actually came in and gave this boy who had an electrical burn, lost three of his limbs and just wow. did tremendous damage. But he was going down and his hero was Tom Landry. So Tom Landry came in and gave him a football signed by all the Cowboys. And within two weeks, he turned around. And, wow. And so I became interested in psychology. Wow. And uh, so I, I, you know, where I, where I was and the position I was, uh, I, there was kind of a glass ceiling. I couldn't really go beyond that. and so. Because of that, my interest in psychology really grew, and that's when I pursued a career uh, to, to get a doctorate in, uh, in psychology. And so my degree uh, is a dual track. I'm, I've got a degree in clinical, but my primary emphasis was health psychology, behavioral medicine. Mm -hmm. So that's, that kind of worked together with that background. So that was kind of my interest, and uh, didn't think I was going to make it several times, <laughs> but, but I'm glad I did. So. Um, and really thought that I was gonna, after internship, I came here to UT to do my internship. And I thought after that I was gonna get into health fitness programming because my, all my research was at the Aerobic Center in Dallas, okay. uh, Dr. Cooper, okay. the guy who got America okay. jogging. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was a big fitness guy and I thought I was gonna come here, but God had very different plans and uh, I'm grateful he did. Um, so, you know, a lot of experience in inpatient, a lot of addiction work, um, hmm. a lot of marriage and family, see a lot of depressed and anxious people. So that's kind of how it's, yeah. how my career has grown. Yeah, and then Heart Life, how did that begin? Wow, that was, uh, uh, I, I have been working and consulting with churches uh, different parts of the country. A lot of churches uh, have been very interested in starting counseling centers uh, as part of a ministry, but yes. there's sort of this, this confusion between what is professional and what is ministry, and it's a great point of liability for a church. Yes. And so I've yeah. um, uh, worked with a lot of attorneys, church attorneys over the years, so uh, I got real interested in training their staff and training the lay leadership and just just how to do maybe strategic discipleship, more very specific. Yes. We yeah. call it soul care, which is yes. going back yeah. to the Reformation, you yeah. know. I like that. Um, and, and so in that process, I saw a lot of churches making mistakes, like they would hire a licensed person, licensed by that particular state, and because liability was such a main issue, if, if one of those professionals got sued from malpractice, then they could pierce the corporate veil of the church. Wow. So okay. what... We, what I thought was best was to form an entity but still have some ecclesiastical oversight from a variety of churches and denominations. So that's what we did with HeartLife. Okay. And I taught a course uh, at Southern uh, when I was teaching seminary, uh, which really you know, solidified this vision. And then I came back here. It was really a God thing because uh, there was a church locally that, that had hired professional counselors. And they said, we think we've got a problem. We think we've got some liability issues, and we want you to try to help us step out of that. So we stepped out of that, and that became Heart Life. Really? Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. And have you always been that? You're in Germantown, right, on, on Forest Hill? Right. And you've, that's always been the... That's been our office. Yeah, we're okay. actually moving in January, February, because we've outgrown oh, our space. That's exciting. Yeah. That's really, yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Okay, so this is a really odd season. And so what, I mean, what are you, I, I would love, as, as much as you feel comfortable sharing, but like, what are you kind of seeing? Is there common threads in, in the conversations you're having? Um, what, what, are you, what are you seeing right now? Well, we're seeing a lot of marital issues that are mm -hmm. surfacing because typically uh, 
people, you know, are pretty structured and really as a culture, we're pretty distracted. Mm. And so when COVID hit, it's like it was forcing people to get together. And so the unresolved conflicts that they'd not dealt with began to surface. And so we, we, we began to see problems in, in marriages where people were not able on their own to resolve those sort of longstanding issues mm -hmm. that they'd had before. We're also seeing a, a, a huge increase in substance and alcohol abuse. Uh, I think that some statistics say that between 35 and 40 percent there's been that much of an increase since, wow. since the onset yeah. of COVID. And so we also see a lot of people who are anxious uh, because mm -hmm. they're very fearful of mm -hmm. getting the disease. And, you know, we, we, we haven't consistently throughout this, we haven't really gotten a clear message of what this is. I mean, we know that mortality's down because people under 50 with no pre-existing conditions, you know, usually don't die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, still, people are very, very concerned. They're very concerned about their loved ones. I I'll tell you another thing uh, that that's happened because I see people in an age group whose parents are older and yes. perhaps in nursing homes or yes. uh, my, yeah. my father-in-law recently fell and had a brain injury and so we can't go visit him, you know, so it's, it, it's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so people are really struggling with that sort of sadness and, and just grief. And so we're seeing a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we know that, that people who kind of suffer long-term chronic stress can develop you know, mood disorders and clinical issues like depression and anxiety. Um, and so based on what we know and believe, there are physiochemical changes that take place in the brain after this mm. kind of chronic unrelenting stress. So I expect that this is going to be with us for a while. That's an interesting point because yeah. that's something that we're not, I'm not hearing a lot about is talking about, you know, this is going to have, I mean, this ripple effect oh, essentially yeah. within, yeah. like we're, we're like, I think we're all sort of, just dealing with it the best that we can, right? It's kind of yeah. like like we're just getting it done. We're sur we're kind of in survival mode, if you yeah. will. Yeah. But then it kind of, I mean, I, I suspect that there's just going to be this ripple effect of like you can't live like. I mean, we've been living months and months and months like that, even yeah. with. Um, I mean, I'm dealing with the kids in the school and at home and work, mm -hmm. and I, I'm working. And at one point, Tommy and I both are working from home, and the kids are at home in school, and we're rotating. I mean, it's it's a it's a lot for a lot of people. So it is. It's it's very difficult because we had previously we had structure in our lives, yes. whether it was school work or whatever. Now, what we're trying to teach people is they they need to reintegrate uh, structure into their lives. Yeah. So. Um, uh, it's kind of like instead of the tail wagging the dog, we sort of need to get back into yeah. a situation where we yeah. say, you know, you were sharing with me about I've got an hour to work after my kids go to bed. Yes. And sometimes yes. that turns into two yes. hours. <laughs> yes. And yes. it's like, so one of the things I've done on an app on my phone is uh, at 930, it, it automatically cuts off. So I get no emails and no, that's, no calls. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I'm tempted to check it. <laughs> but, <laughs> that would be hard, yes. Yeah. That takes so, a lot of self-control. <laughs> so that's just one little thing, you know, that, that, that we can do. And, I, and exercise is critical during this time for mm. people to get out, to get yes. outside, even though you know, the weather can be a little bit challenging. But everything we can do to combat the effects of the stress that we're experiencing and how we can structure our lives, you know, one of the things that couples... Uh, really need to do is they they really need to 
schedule times where they're together. Have, of course, have dates, but, but literally schedule times where all distractions are cut off mm-hmm. and they interact, they talk. Mm-hmm. You know, they catch each other up. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, you know, we're kind of having to force interactions now yeah. more. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of interesting things. A lot of people who are real anxious and paranoid about getting the disease. And, I believe that. Uh, especially if they're a little bit OCD to start with, you know, it's like, <laughs> how many times a day can I wash my hands? Yeah, yeah or uh, how much hand sanitizer, I was yeah. putting that on before here. I was like, how much <laughs> hand sanitizer can we use? And yeah. we're gonna have some, I'm gonna have some weird hand disease from hand sanitizer from Lots that. Lots of but, moisturizer, you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so I would like us to pivot a little bit because I, what I kind of want our focus to be for this, this conversation is uh, complicated relationship dynamics. This is going to be a really, really odd Thanksgiving. It's going to be a really odd Christmas. I mean, things are not going to be, I mean, who even knows what that's going to look like at this point, you know, really. But uh, we have family that come in town every single year. They're not going to be coming in town Mm -hmm. this year. I mean, that's really, really hard for a lot of people. And so I would love, um, and then on top of that, we have right an, a tense election. We have a we have COVID. We have um, we have the civil unrest that's happening. I mean, there's layers upon layers upon layers of uh, something that could make our relationships be a little additional, like extra tense this this yeah. holiday season. Yeah. So I would love. Do you have any advice or kind of thoughts on that as we prepare to head into holiday season? Wow, that's huge. Yeah, no, <laughs> no pressure, right? Let's see, where can I, where, which one of those can I pull out? And how much time uh, do we have, really? <laughs> I, I think for the holidays, uh, you know, especially when we're accustomed to having family come or we go to family, uh, it's going to be very different this year because a lot of our family may be aged, aged and, and older and more vulnerable to this, and so. I think there's going to be a, you know, normally during the holiday season, people tend to experience sadness more because it reminds them of lost family members or or trauma or difficulty in the past. And so, you know, we we hear these people who get all excited about Christmas and stuff. And, you know, in my world, I know very few people who say, oh, I can't wait till Christmas. Yes. I can't wait till this gets over with most of the time. So it's already difficult, mm-hmm. and then you throw in, you know, COVID, and and so families, you know, I'll try not to chase too many rabbits, but families disagree on what's happening politically, and that yes. can create yeah. additional stress. And so there are just some things it's better not to talk about, you know, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. family gatherings. Yeah, and so yeah. uh, one of the things that I try to recommend is let's pick some off-limits things if you're going to be with your family. The other thing is I think. Uh, we have to take advantage of, of our electronic devices during a time when we may not be able hmm. to gather. And, you know, for Thanksgiving coming up, one of the things that I've talked to some people about is when you get with your family, either uh, on, uh, on, on your iPhone or your iPad or, you know, FaceTime or whatever you do, Zoom, uh, before you do that, prepare and, and find several things that you can tell the other person that you're thankful for about them. So it, 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 it becomes a more relational uh, thing that may, you know, we may be too uncomfortable to do that yeah. uh, in, in a one-on-one situation. But I think, I think that's really important. I think we, we have to change our construct, uh, at least for this year. Uh, we have to set realistic expectations. We have to know that it's going to be difficult. Mm. Uh, and that some of our family members are gonna have a more difficult time 
with it than others. And so we have to communicate about that with our family and say, this is a difficult time. You know, what can we do as a family that's going to help try to include everybody? So you make a plan a little bit. I like that. You know? yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that uh, I shared with you earlier that, that has been important to me is it's real easy for me to give a gift that I go out and buy. So one of the things that I've focused on recently is trying to give service-oriented gifts. You know, what, what pick several people, like in my family or whatever, some people I work with, what can I do for them uh, in a special way that communicates to them uh, that in my mind they're, they're very important and I care for them. And so then it, it sort of changes the dynamic a little bit between, you know, what am I going to get or, or this conversation, how much money are we going to spend on each person? Mm -hmm. And it becomes a much more relational, not a transactional, but a relational experience. And I think that's really important, too, that we think about that this Christmas. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, we need to think about what, what the season really represents. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a time, this commercialized thing, it's a time that we need to be grateful that, you know, God has sent His Son mm. uh, to come and to die for us, that, yeah. that um, uh, we should be able to spend eternity with our Father in Heaven. And so, I think we need to really put the emphasis where it needs to be. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so. You know, those are just some simple, practical things that we can yeah. do. We need to have conversations about it, though. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, you, you start stepping into that, which is, you know, part of my next question to you is a lot of advice and tools and resources on, I mean, some of us are stepping into a holiday season where our family thinks differently than us, right? So some people are wearing masks, some people aren't wearing masks, or some people, like, I, I like that you said, um, you know, basically talk about these are off-limit things. I think that's a really, really yeah. good point. Um, but I mean, any any tools that you would offer or give us for stepping into those types of situations where there will be conflict, there's going to be tension, it's going to be awkward. We just yeah. know it now. What what would you what would you encourage us on? Well, what I would tell people: most people hate conflict, yes. right? Most people <laughs> avoid conflict. But I I use I, I use the term conflict to say that it's always an opportunity for greater intimacy. Hmm. Uh, conflict is always an opportunity for greater intimacy. Uh, with other people in my life and with God in my life because the, just the definition of conflict by Webster is a striking together. And what God expects from us is not conflict but confluence, mm. uh, a moving together. And, and so I think conflict usually occurs when my right or, or in my mind, my right to be right is greater than the relationship. And I mm. think that's a huge problem. So I always want to say the that's relationship really is more important than me being right. That's good, yeah. And so if I have that attitude mm -hmm. and I'm in conflict with somebody, it allows me to sort of move to the side a little bit uh, and really hear the other person and maybe understand the other person is coming from a place of fear or hurt. Not take that personally, because if I take it personally, I get defensive. And if I get defensive, I'm going to try to justify my actions, and that's going to create defensiveness in the other person. Mm -hmm. So one of the two people has to sort of step back a little bit. And so my little toolbox, you know, anytime I'm, uh, I'm in a conflict with, with anybody, it's uh, this relationship is more important than me being right. So I have to approach it not with an attitude of assumption, because what we do in conflict is we, assume, we assign motive to the other person. Hmm. 
Yes. We tell in our minds and even sometimes, oh, you're thinking this. Oh, you're doing this. Well, we're assigning motive, which really ticks me off. I hate anybody <laughs> to do that to me, right? Yes. So instead of assigning motive, we, we need to have a, an attitude of curiosity, which is, wow, that was pretty tough. That was pretty hurtful. Can you explain to me hmm. why you said that and why you feel that way? Hmm. Or have I done something that's offensive because I'd like to understand that. If I've wronged you, I want to I ask you to forgive me. So it, it's a whole different approach. Uh, and, it, and it reduces this defensive sort of dynamic that takes place in the relationship. And we should especially do that with our family members. Yes, yeah. So I think that's probably the most important thing you can do yeah. to help resolve conflict is two things. The relationship is more important than me being right and approach the other person uh, certainly with respect but with an attitude of curiosity and not do not assign motive. I like that. Yeah, that's really, really helpful, yeah. I think, as we navigate that. And I think you also touched on something, too, of uh, going back a little bit, was the clear expectation. You know, if, if we know we're walking into a certain situation or we know we're walking into a comp extra complicated yeah. uh, dynamic, yeah. I mean, I think um, being very clear about what our expectations are here of, you know, I've had a few conversations on, okay, so are we all wearing masks? Are we hugging? Are we taking tests before we come? I mean, just, very good. just being very... Um, open and direct yeah. ab about some of those things. Yeah, and, and that's kind of along the same line as boundaries. Uh, we're, we're sort of communicating expectations and we're really sort of saying, these are things that we need to agree on. Uh, and, and I do think that's, that's of critical importance, what you just mentioned in, in terms of having those conversations. Um, it's really hard, you know, I'll have people reach out to shake my hand and I'll go, you know, I'll go, can we do the elbow thing? You know, it's like I'm, I'm just paranoid enough, you know, just to say, uh, of course, even if I do the elbow thing and then I go and wash my hands and say, okay, I feel better, I feel better. Can you, know? you wash my elbow now? Yeah, yeah. Spray it with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but, you know, again, I think, I think people need to realize, and you and I talked about this, and it's important for us to be able to uh, sort of categorize what's going on, to be able to identify and categorize it. And, and so there's a lot of stress. There's been, what, is it eight or nine months now that, that we've been going under tremendous stress? And so a simple definition of stress, I think, mm. um, when the demands of my environment, whether it's internal or external, are greater than my ability to meet those demands, distress occurs. Hmm. That's good. So we're in a situation mm -hmm. where I don't think any of us, mm -mm. Uh, in terms of long term, mm -hmm. have the ability to adjust and meet the demands that are made upon us right now. Mm -hmm. Now, what we know from, from the researchers about stress is chronic unrelenting stress will eventually lead to depression, anxiety, uh, so that they become clinical conditions that have to be treated. Uh, because now we have the research out that shows that, you know, neural pathways change when we're under chronic stress mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all of that. So, it, so if you buy into that definition of stress, then uh, Hans Sillier, who came up with it, uh, said there are three types of stress, primary, secondary, tertiary. Primary stress is when the imbalance occurs in my family. Secondary is when it occurs in my workplace. Tertiary is lifestyle factors. Okay. So what he tries to do from a very holistic perspective is he says, hey, this is what stress is, and to help you categorize it so that you can directly approach it, if it's in the family, 
you know, categorize it so that you can develop a plan to deal with it. If it's the workplace, do something to deal with that. If, it, if it's that you're not taking care of yourself and you've got a very unhealthy lifestyle, because we know that people who are not well cannot physiologically respond. Mm. You know, all the research now about, you know, stress causes increase in cortisol. When the cortisol goes up, your immune system functioning goes down. Mm. And so whether that's a virus or whether that's cancer or whether, mm. you know, whatever that is, we're more susceptible to get sick. So it's kind of like, um, uh, I always tell people, and Holmes and Rahe did a social readjustment rating scale years ago. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's I really a, it's a cool tool. So they assign a point value to different kinds of stress that okay. you have in your life. Buying a house is stressful. Divorce is stressful. Moving out of a house is stressful. Changing jobs. So they assign all these point values, and they determined with incredible accuracy that if a person hits above a certain score within 12 months, they will get physically ill. Interesting. It, it's, it's kind yeah. of fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. and so uh, the, the point being is that we need to be more self-aware and we need to realize the impact this is having on us. Mm. And people are losing jobs and people are losing businesses and this is outside of their control and there's a lot of frustration and a lot of anger and a sense of helplessness and hopelessness uh, that goes along with that and I think you know I think that's where the church really needs to step yes, in absolutely I think we need to support those people um, well the old reformers would say Jesus Christ is the cure for our souls, and the church is expected to care for our souls. Mm. And so I think mm. we, the church with a capital C, we yes. need to do a better job of helping people who are going through events where their world is falling apart, and they need the social support, the spiritual support, um, and the relationships to help them get through it. Mm. Um. Thank you for sharing all this wisdom with us. Do you have any final words, any final challenges, encouragements for us uh, before, before we head into uh, what will be the oddest Christmas and Thanksgiving ever? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that um, we need, you know, everybody's situation is different. And I think we all are looking upon the holiday season with some degree of trepidation. I mean, honestly, it's, you know, how do we deal with this? Um, in my situation, we probably have very few more holidays with my wife's family. Mm. And uh, father-in-law is 89, uh, just fell, and uh, he's going to lose cognitive capacity and personality changes because of uh, frontal lobe damage that he did when he fell. And so we have begun talking about that, hmm. uh, which is very difficult. But I think, I think as a family, uh, we need to talk about the important things. We need to just accept the fact that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be different. It's going to be weird. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and we need to find ways, as I said earlier, to uh, communicate uh, that it's weird for us. You know, some of our family members are probably not going to talk as openly as some other family members. Yeah, yeah. And so what I found is if I just open up, it sort of encourages them to open up. Mm. And so then we talk about it. We create good experiences in the midst of this chaos. Um, I, I think that especially for Christmas, um, you know, 
most people I, I said this earlier, most people I see and deal with don't like Christmas. And so one of the things that I try to focus on is what does it represent to you? Mm. Uh, what, what does it really represent? So what is the accurate representation versus what is your expectation? Mm. And so I try to work through that with them. And I think we should do that with our people in our families that struggle is how do we get back to what it represents? You know, that God loved, loved us so much that he, he sent his son uh, to, to die for us. And we celebrate that. This is a celebration of God's great gift to us. And uh, how can we celebrate that even in the midst? Uh, and I think we all would agree, kind of fits in. Uh, it, it's becoming a little more difficult to be a Christian in our culture today. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to have realistic expectations. Yes. Um, but I think we need to remember the reason for yeah. the holiday. And I think that's an, such a good point, too. Is, and what I'm seeing is that, I mean, this is obviously a challenge. This is not really what anybody would have preferred. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, but, and, it's, and it's been it's very tragic for many, many people. But... Uh, it also is an opportunity for us to be really intentional is what I'm finding is the way the conversations, even the hard conversations. I mean, we're talking about complicated relationship Mm -hmm. dynamics is hard as uncomfortable. Those conversations are, it is an opportunity for us to say, okay, I'm going to actually voice for the first time I ever have voiced. Here's really what, here's what we can do this year. You know, whereas we normally would have gotten pulled in a million different directions. We ran with it. We would have been exhausted by the end of the year and just crashed and been like, why are we living this way? Whereas this year we're like, well, this is what we can do. You know, I feel like we're, it's forcing us to say, um, to kind of set some boundaries to say, this is what we can and can't do and have those difficult conversations. And, and the thing that I so love that you, um, kept saying over and over again, it all involves planning and yeah. having those conversations even now. Yeah. And I think that's an important reminder where this isn't something we can look up and we're heading to our family's house on Thanksgiving. We're like, oh, wait, what are we doing again? Are we wearing masks? Are we not wearing masks? Or who's doing what? Or so-and-so is going to be there. We, I can't talk politics with them. Yeah. So I, I think it's one of those things. We have to start having that conversation now. And I, I really appreciate you reminding us of that because that's so, so important. Because it allows us to be intentional, right? As we have those conversations, yeah. it allows us to really focus on what matters the most, right? These relationships, Christmas season. Yeah, you, you just articulated much better than I did. <laughs> no, exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. And uh, I think that is a, that's an incredibly healthy approach to take. And I think we all need to be authentic enough yes. uh, to start by saying, this is really screwed up. Yes. You know, this is really yeah. weird. Yeah. So let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. Now, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's getting COVID tested? Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much yeah. for being here with us. I really appreciate this. And I know it's going to be such a blessing to so many people as we navigate this yeah. thank holiday you. season. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. And that is a wrap for our Green Chair Conversation with Dr. Chuck Hannaford. Thank you so much for being connected with us today. Don't forget, you can encourage someone today by sharing our conversation with a friend or watch any previous conversations at hopechurchmemphis.com forward slash GCC, as well as listen on Spotify or Apple podcast apps. And as always, feel free to email me at greenchair at hopechurchmemphis.com. Love you guys and see you next week.